Hi guys, welcome to another episode of Protrusive Dental Podcast. This one's all about respiratory protective equipment. It's a massive, massive topic at the moment and I just wanted to help out by covering a little bit, mostly because I felt as though I knew nothing and I had some people reach out to me, what do we do about our beards? Do we need to get FFP2s? Fit tested. This would make a good topic for your podcast. So I reached out to some guys. It culminated in this episode, which is going to cover all the very basics to the more sort of political, ethical questions around RPE in dentistry for whenever it is that we'll be getting back to work. I know the UDCs are working under some conditions whereby they have access to some forms of RPE. So we'll be discussing all that. Um, I have to give a disclaimer that uh, one of the reasons I made this episode was because I am concerned as a Sikh man with a turban and a beard about how I'm going to go back to work and certainly for those in my community, how are we going to get back to work and I want the voice of our community to be heard. So that's one of the reasons, but that makes up around about 0.2% of this podcast. This podcast episode is um, applicable to everyone, but I do want to reach out to my community and, and, and sort of offer them something. And basically, there's not much in it in, in terms of how I can help uh, people with beards, uh, Muslims, Jews, Sikhs, uh, those of us who have uh, facial hair. Essentially, we are at the mercy of the higher powers, the WHO, Public Health England, uh, the CDO, uh, NHS England. So all these bodies are advising us. And actually, they are all blind. And what I mean by that is that there is just not enough evidence yet. So I think the method that everyone is now adopting is it's better safe than sorry. Hence why at the moment, the guidance suggests that you should be using a filtering face piece uh, for any AGP related procedures. So that's where that guidance comes from. It may be that just a surgical mask and a visor is just as good. But the thing is, we don't know yet. And I think the due to political reasons and due to um, safety first and being uh, uh, it's better to be safe than sorry. That's the reason that we're going a bit extreme into uh, some of the guidance recommendations in terms of uh, the need to wear these FFP2 or FFP3 masks. So I think that's where that comes from. And the only thing I can say is that I was surprised to learn a little bit that all this RPE that we wear is actually mostly to do with protecting us. Not so much the patient. Yes, the patient's important as, as a byproduct. The patient should be protected, but we'll also think about how to protect us. And it's interesting that, um, for example, if I was to wear an FFP2 mask with my beard, technically, I wouldn't even get certified to wear it because one of the guidelines is that you should, ha- you should be clean shaven. So we know that the, the seal actually degrades and you can't be certain that every time you do a fit check that you, you, you've got a perfect seal. So for that reason, we think that, yes, the dentist is not protected, but actually the patient, maybe, we just don't know because uh, the dentist can still exhale and we don't know how much of that exhalation can uh, affect the, de- the the patient. We don't know how much of the viral load is carried in exhalation yet. Uh, we, we just don't know the answer. And, and of course, the majority of the uh, masks that are available, or RPE that is available in UDCs due to political reasons and uh, supply reasons, actually have a, 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 an exhalation valve. So the air, the exhalation air is actually coming out anyway. So that, for to me, that seems no different to uh, me wearing an FFP3 
and knowing that I don't have a hundred percent seal. So I don't really see that being any different. So, so there, there, there are lots of unanswered questions for, for people with beards and stuff. Uh, so that's the best I can offer. We really need a solution that not going to depend on hoods because they're so cumbersome. But anyway, we cover all that and much, much, much more. Like I said, the beard thing is only a small part of this podcast. I really hope this helps everyone to understand about uh, fit testing, fit checking, which mask do we need? Uh, why? Is it a legal requirement to, to wear these masks? Who's protected? Who's not? How much do these cost? Is it is it better to just buy a reusable one than a, um, a disposable one? So all these things we covered. I, I generally hope that you find this useful. Thanks so much for tuning in. That's number one. Number two, we don't know. There's a lack of evidence or there's no evidence on aerosols and risk of transmission. So we don't know. So there may be the fact that we get more evidence. There's maybe we will get different respirators that will come onto the market. And maybe we don't need them. Welcome to the Protrusive Dental Podcast, the forward-thinking podcast for dental professionals. Join us as we discuss hot topics in dentistry, clinical tips, continuing education, and adding value to your life and career with your host, Jazz Gulati. Right, uh, gentlemen, welcome to the Protrusive Dental Podcast. It's, it's great to have you on. Um, I want to make this the most uh, impactful episode uh, about PPE and RPE in the current climate. Um, let's start with some introductions. Uh, Tarek, thanks for reaching out to me. Please tell us uh, about yourself and what makes you um, qualified, if I say, to talk about PPE and RPE. So my name is Tarek Shambesh. I'm a dentist, uh, oral surgeon, and for the last eight weeks, I've been redeployed as a fit tester. I've been um, fit testing qualitatively and quantitatively. I've coordinated a large team of multidisciplinary dental professionals in fit testing, supervising them, educating them. Uh, to colleagues, I've been uh, conducting respiratory protection um, uh, education as well as raising awareness um, about respirators and fit testing. Perfect. How about you, Kareem? Hi, uh, Jazz. Thank you very much for having me uh, uh, on, on the show. My name is Kareem uh, El-Bugdavli. I'm a consultant anesthetist at a uh, London COVID teaching hospital uh, where we have a large population of COVID patients that have been through our doors in the last two months or so. Uh, what makes me qualified is that I have not seen a patient that does not have COVID in the last two months. Uh, I only look after COVID patients at the moment. So therefore, I uh, wear RPE uh, and PPE uh, every day that I'm at work. I'm also the research lead for our directorate. Uh, and so I've done a, a, a little bit of research on uh, amongst other things, but uh, on on COVID uh, and RPE and PPE. I'm by no means an expert, uh, but uh, I uh, would say that I'm equipped to talk about the um, the RPE and PPE from a day to day experience uh, basis as well. That is fantastic. And I think we're going to learn a lot from your experiences because what we're about to face is, is dentists going to the work. Uh, and and Dr. Uh, Sammy, please tell us about yourself. And Dr. Sammy, please tell us about yourself. Uh, so I'm an oral surgeon. I'm Sammy Darwish, I'm an oral surgeon and a periodontist. And um, I am not on the front line like uh, like these two chaps are. Uh, but together we have uh, uh, made, created an organisation where we have 
been going around fit testing uh, dentists in preparation uh, for them providing clinical services. So far, it's just been the UDCs, um, but we're moving into um, helping the other dental uh, practices open up um, and, and ready for service. Um, but like like Kareem is the is is the lead researcher in his in his unit, and I've had a a couple of publications out there in the in the dental literature. Um, so I guess together the three of us and the uh, huge team that we've managed to put together now of um, over forty fit testers, um, we 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 now um, created a a, a network. Um, of fit testers that's uh, providing the service according to the need. Um, got ourselves a, a good system going um, in getting people ready to go back to dentistry. Brilliant. Thank you to all, all three of you for, for your roles in what you're doing and dur- during this time, uh, whether you're on the front line or you're, um, like you, Sammy, behind the scenes, it's, it's, it's great that you're doing this work. Uh, do you know how many uh, people or how many uh, Healthcare professionals have been fit tested uh, by yourselves. It, it, do you have a, like a rough number? Uh, last uh, count was a few days ago, which was five hundred and something. Yeah, yeah, top top 500, 560, 570. Brilliant. And uh, what are the main things that you've learned from doing it? What is it? What, what I want to know is what's the the pass rate uh, of, of of fit testing? So you've done five hundred people, but uh, their first time when you test them and then maybe what percentage pass and then maybe then you have to try another brand give us a flavor of uh, what's going on behind the scenes for someone some of the dentists who have no idea who haven't been to these centers to be fit tested what actually goes on um let me start by saying what's a fit test a fit test is just a confirmation or um a, a an assessment of the performance of that respirator on somebody's face essentially uh, is it compatible with the, that person's facial features, and in particularly the lower mid-faced. Now, we are uh, dentists. We are, uh, our team is multidisciplinary uh, dental professionals. We, uh, we measure the face. We um, use some 3D scanning as well. And with that techniques, we've managed to find out with our experience and as we go along, what is the most suitable or what's the most likely to be the most suitable RPE, uh, but also constrained with what's available. So uh, to answer your question, what's the pass rate? It depends on what variety of RPE we have and what the demographic uh, that we're faced with. So in a session where uh, it's mainly petite women, then Mm. probably the pass rate will be low, as low as 30%, where we have mainly a male demographic and we have a variety of respirators then we would have as high as 80 to 100%. So it changes from session to session. Overall, I'd probably say around 70% mark. 70% is a pass rate, yeah? Yes. Uh, yeah. Overall, so taking... Overall, 70% pass. But Tariq, do you want to just elaborate slightly uh, on why the uh, petite female group are more likely to not pass because that petite female group is a, a large uh, percentage of our current so, uh, you know healthcare professionals uh, my wife included who failed yeah, her fit yeah. test <laughs> yeah so there are many reasons uh, Jazz. first of all respirators are traditionally the respirators essentially that we're, we're using are industrial products 
And we know in industry, uh, it's mainly men larger sizes. That's number one. Number two, we are uh, in a pandemic where there is shortage of PPE, shortage of variety of uh, RPEs. Ideally, a fit tester should arrive somewhere with a variety of RPEs, different sizes, different shapes, and then they see the most suitable. The same as somebody where if you were buying a pair of jeans, you would go to somewhere, they would have all the different sizes, they would have all the different styles, and based on your uh, shape, your size, what you were wanting to do with it. You may go with a stretchy one, you may go with a, a different color one, and you end up with the best pair of pants that you want to do for that job that you're doing. Mm. The, the supply is limited. Uh, the, the, the variety is probably limited uh, during this time. Uh, yeah. Kareem, you yeah. raise your hand, please. Uh, what, are you, what have your experiences been? Yeah, uh, effectively, um, uh, really, the, the problem with uh, RPE is, as Tarek highlighted, they're all designed for uh, white men. And so if you're not a white man, your uh, chances of, of passing a fit test are uh, uh, diminished. The studies have shown that, uh, that up to, uh, across all backgrounds, around a fifth of, um, uh, of people do not pass the fit test. Now, of course, the demographics in the UK and the demographics in dental um, practices may be slightly different to the general population demographics, of course. Uh, and so the chances of, of you not successfully passing a fit test might, might be uh, affected by that as well. So then logically, uh, the next thing I want to check then is uh, this significant percentage, percentage of the population who may be due to the lack of variety available at the moment uh, and their facial features will not pass these fit tests. What are we going to do? Let, let's say the government said uh, or, or the powers that be that say that we can go back to work on the 4th of July, just made up a random date. Um, what are we what are we going to do? We need to. I mean, that's the whole point of fit testing. I mean, um, what we um, aim to do as fit testers is is seek um, a answer to what the the effect of the mask that the that the dentist is holding um, is that um, functional or not. But what we aim to do is also test them on on a variety. So so if they fail on one mask, then there'll be other masks to test them on. Hopefully. So, Hopefully, yes, hopefully. But I mean, I mean, as 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 the the chaps just said, is that traditionally this mask has been um, designed for for the fireman and the construction worker, um, and uh, one may hope that the industry might uh, change to make uh, masks uh, for the medical and the dental profession and. Uh, I'd expect exactly that to happen. But notwithstanding that, there will still be masks that uh, dentists will will fit. Um, So if the first one that they're holding ends up being the one that doesn't fit them, then uh, we can access um, alternatives for them, uh, test them on it, and... One would hope in the second, third or fourth attempt of a different mask, we find one that does fit them. And once we do, then that's the one that we tell them, this is the one that fits you. So that's the one that they need to go and look for and buy. The reason why there is fit testing now is because mainly we are dealing with what's available to us and we are, we are in the middle of a peak of a pandemic. Yeah. So we don't know 
what will be normal routine dentistry. And we may not need respiratory protection. That's the first Mm -hmm. thing. Yeah. And I hope that we don't because it's not the most practical. And to be honest, I I used to love how I used to practice dentistry. Um, (laughs) And at the moment, I don't love it as much. But at certain aspects of it, I, um, I'm falling in love, the slowness of it, the flow of it. Um, but uh, uh, I'm not a big fan of having something bulky uh, uh, in front of my face. And my, for my patient, uh, last week, a 10-year-old uh, uh, child having to see me with that respirator on. That's number one. Number two, we don't know. There's a lack of evidence or there's no evidence on aerosols and risk of transmission. So we don't know. So there may be the fact that we'll get more evidence. There's maybe we will get different respirators that will come onto the market and maybe we don't need them. Mm -hmm. Also, don't forget that we were taught in respirator terms or in respiratory protection, there are two classes of respirators. There are close fitting respirators and there are loose fitting respirators. Loose fitting respirators don't need to be fit tested and they are adequate and suitable for any shape, any size. Uh, again, they're not the most, they're designed mainly in, in, for industrial applications. But Can now you name some examples? Trying, we, so there's the one that has been developed in, in Southampton University, I believe, and it's Perso, which is an Perso, open yeah. system, which, uh, which, can be, which can be perhaps adapted and perhaps developed further. There's also Max, uh, Max Air, which I believe uh, uh, Karim has some experience with. And perhaps Karim can tell us more about it. We've got some experience with the Max Air. Um, and these are effectively powered air purifying respirators. So, uh, so these, the, the, the PAPRs, powered air purifying respirators, are effectively a hood that, that you, you will have seen people uh, wearing before. And what they have uh, is they've got a pump. And that pump uh, uh, effectively produces positive pressure within your uh, your compartment uh, where where you're breathing within your head uh, and and that positive pressure effectively forces air out of course the, the pump and the fan has a filter on it okay so it's a highly efficient filter usually uh, and and you don't have any tight fitting mask on your face uh, uh, but you've, you you're 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 effectively within this hood there's various types of uh, powered air purifying respirators of course um, and uh, Tarek has named a couple and they've got different designs some of them have the pump uh, uh, that sits on top of your head. Some of them have a tube, and the pump sits uh, on your uh, on your hip, uh, um, disconnected. But it, but the principle remains the same: is you're in a positive pressure chamber. Your head is in a positive pressure chamber to, uh, that that has a filter to um, prevent uh, viral particles entering. What's it like walking around with it? Uh, which one? The uh, oh, the the PAPRs. Oh. Yeah. So it really depends on the PAPR, right? Like some of them are really, really super industrial, super bulky and have space inside. Of course, what, what you notice is that sound is, uh, is a little bit more muffled. Communication is more difficult. You can't get close to things because, you know, you've got this distance between you and, and, the, and the, the, um, the, the respirator itself. Uh, so it can be challenging. There, the the, the uh, to be honest with you, there's the uh, the ones that have the pump on the on that on top of the head. They have advantages because they use a disposable visor, 
Okay, so the hood itself is disposable, but the pump is not, and the pump sits inside that disposable uh, that disposable um, uh, uh, hood. Uh, and you do have a buzz that's sat on top of your head, a little bit of a hum that's constantly there, but you get used to it after a while. Uh, listen, end of the day, it's nothing is as comfortable as having nothing on your face or your head, right? Uh, you mm-hmm. ideally don't want to wear a mask. You ideally don't want to wear a hood. But you've got to protect yourselves, and and if if you can't fit a mask, then you've got to try a hood. Well, so I'm glad you've answered that. So if yeah, if you, if, if the mask is no good and you tried a few, then maybe the next step will be a hood. But until I guess we know what the standard operating procedures will be, that we really don't know which direction this is all going to head in. So I, I really respect that. We, none of us know the uh, answer to that, but. One thing we do know is that Irish guidance was released and they're advocating FFP2. Mm-hmm. Now, does FFP2 yeah. uh, need to be fit tested? And uh, I also want to know what if the, the ability to, for the fit testers, and I believe there's a limited number of fit testing kits as well. So these are many bottlenecks in the system that may uh, prevent everyone getting access to uh, fit testing and then maybe will further delay who can get to work. So please, can you um, talk about that? So if I can take your first question, first of all, mm. when we do our teaching, we, we, the first principle is a surgical mask is a surgical mask. It's a barrier protection that offers some filtration, which is not standardized. Whereas a respirator is a filtering device that also offers some protection, but most of the time that's not fluid resistant. So FFP2 is a FFP stands for uh, a filtering face piece, yeah? With a P1 capability, P2 capability, P3 capability. So essentially, an FFP2 is a filtering device, yeah? Um, And any filtering device, any respirator, requires a seal for it to optimally perform. Yeah, because it's a respirator. Mm -hmm. You want it to filter. You don't want air to escape in from the sides. You want it to have a seal. Mm-hmm. The only uh, standardized way and recognized way to t- test that seal on a person's face is through a fit test, which could mm-hmm. be qualitative or quantitative. So if a, an employer or a wearer wants to know the performance of that filtering face piece, regardless of its being FFP1, FFP2, FFP3, they do a fit test. If they pass a fit test, that tells them that there is a fit factor of at least 100, which means that if there is 100 aerosols outside, there is less, there's a one aerosol will get one particle. If there is 100 particles outside, one particle will get in. And that's mm-hmm. a, uh, what we call a fit factor of 100. Can I, can I just say at that point that um, even though you get a um, positive fit test and you're happy with a brand, uh, and then the fit tester say goodbye and uh, everyone continues, if you just on one day uh, change the position slightly, you don't put it on properly, then that may again be ineffective, right? Yes. Definitely. Part of part of uh, the program and part of the product that that, that we uh, that we do is people people are saying to us, "Oh, can come 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 and fit testers." We can come and do the fit testing, but that's not half of it. We need to train you on how to wear it and how to how to don it and how to doff it, how to put it on safely and how to take it off safely and how to take care of it with the and with the reusable ones how to inspect it um how to how to clean it 
Um, so you're quite right. If if uh, the wearer hasn't had adequate training in how to use it, it could be ineffective. Mm-hmm. I think it, what's um, uh, one way that I, I like to compare it to is, is driving, right? So mm-hmm. um, uh, uh, getting your fit test done and, uh, you know, um, passing the fit test for a certain mask is like getting a license for that, for that vehicle, okay, uh, for that type of vehicle. Um, it means that you can drive that car. Say you get an automatic license. It means you can drive an automatic car. Great. But having that license doesn't mean that you know how to drive, and it doesn't mean that you're going to be driving safely. You still have to adhere to the principles of safe driving. So if you get that license, that's the same as passing your fit test. But if you drive with your window, with your uh, uh, door open, with no seat belt above the speed limit, then the driving license is effectively meaningless. It's a package, right? It's about training and and implementing safe practice, uh, uh, which includes part of that safe practice includes uh, getting that license or passing that fit test. So, Kareem, I think so, that's that's so, a really important message that you just said because because I'm I'm um, getting the impression that um, that. People just want to be fit to say, "Oh, can you come over, measure me up, tell me which masks I wear, so I can get on with, get a, I can book a patient in next week." And it's and it's actually so not like that. Um, what's what's just as important as you selecting a mask to fit your face is actually you knowing how to use it. Um, and so I would I would just I would want to express to colleagues to uh, to. To take with severe caution any uh, any form of uh, fit testing that they may be looking for, which is just a matter of come and measure me up and sort me out. It's just so not like that. Mm-hmm. So, so thank you so much, so, gentlemen. The question I have for you now is: until the standard operating procedures are released for um, England and certainly UK, obviously Irish guidelines have been released. Your advice is for, uh, for example, I'm a private dentist. Um, should I be rushing out to get fit tested? Is there any reason I should be now or uh, should I get try and get ahead of the curve? What's your current advice to a dentist in my situation? Um, can I answer that from the ethics point of view? So although we are being providing fit testing and we're, we are uh, responsive to, to uh, people's requests, I think, I think there is a, a, an ethical um, angle to this in that um, PPE is is um, limited, as you as you're seeing in the media, uh, and um, I would think it's particularly it'll be, be particularly unethical if um, dentists who are currently shut down in effect uh, by the CDO um, are getting fit tested and stocking up um, their respirators to sit in a cupboard inside a closed dental practice. Um, but saying that, I'm also aware that we need to uh, get ourselves prepared. So I think when um, when when it looks imminent that we are going to be opening up, then gradually we as a profession and as a team um, should be should be preparing ourselves. Um, but 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 I would hate I would hate to take away from the front line who are of course who are, that's a very um, valid point genuinely in need. Mm-hmm. Uh, on a technical point, most PPE that I see or RPEs that I see available on the marketplace or when we go to a UDC, we're asked to... So at the moment, we have uh, official supply that has come, been procured through NHS England and Public Health England. 
at the end of the session, once we've empowered them with all the information, uh, there is some supply that came not from that official, um, uh, that official supply, and they don't perform in the same way. So most of what's available now in the marketplace, especially uh, KN995, uh, other not CE markets, uh, there is uh, fake, fake respirators, there are e-loop designs. The ones that are not ba- basically used in the front line, they don't perform as well. So fit testing should be done on a RPE that you know that is likely to fit you. It's on an RPE that it's likely that you will get more of it in the future. Um, and an RPE that you're not taking out away from an operational site because there is shortage of supply. We're likely to be in phase return to dentistry. I don't think it's going to be chaotic return to dentistry. Mm-hmm. There are so many other ways that, that we know that we can prepare ourselves. Um, I wouldn't, though, ignore the topic and not engage. I would engage with a fit testing team. I would engage and raise awareness on respiratory protection as a whole. Um, because knowledge, it, 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 you know, it's never, you can never waste getting more knowledge. But buying unofficial PPE from mm. unofficial sources and buying it in bulk without engaging a fit testing team, I think is definitely the wrong approach. Uh, having, a sample of, uh, uh, having a sample of some, some RPEs that are likely to be available uh, later on and engaging a fit testing team that will empower you with knowledge and how to do it properly, um, I think is the right way forward, personally. And that might change next week if, if Mm -hmm. if if the guidance change, if the supply chain changes. If what yeah. we're being asked uh, to do is, is, uh, is different. From our experience, returning to work should be a coordinated, professional uh, step. It should be done on an individual basis. There are communities of practice. You have a network of colleagues around you and doing it as, uh, uh, as, as part of a coordinated approach with your local professional network I think is the right way forward. No matter what, what that step is, and no matter what the preparation is, I think it's, if, if this time taught us anything, we need to come closer as a profession. We need to come closer as different professions uh, and different workforce and help each other out in a time of need. But also we should carry it on uh, and use expertise in different uh, sectors and help each other out. Brilliant. So, uh, gents, the next question I have is uh, sent in by one, one of the listeners uh, who I encourage to you know, send in any questions we have uh, for, 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 the, for the group uh, today. Um, and I'm going to borrow your knowledge here is with the, with the antibody test being more widely available now. And certainly I've been looking online. And I'm very keen to get one ASAP so that hopefully I won't have to wear a hood is my thinking. Now, can I go back like how it used to be? Can I go commando if I'm antibody positive? Yeah, I mean, uh, firstly, I don't like the idea of going commando uh, ever anyways. Um, uh, but there's two points here. I think firstly uh, is you've got to make sure that the kit that you're, you're using to test yourself is validated, right? Because there's lots of uh, kits that are, that are out there that you can buy. But one of the reasons why it's taken so long for the government to approve something is because the validation processes are quite rigorous. 
Uh, and if you're using something that's not validated, then you may get a result which either will be falsely reassuring uh, or, or falsely concerning uh, that um, uh, that may not be accurate. So that's the first thing. So the second point is we're still learning so much about this disease right now. Okay, so having uh, having antibodies to uh, SARS-CoV-2 uh, doesn't. Firstly, you you can have asymptomatic seroconverters. Okay, so there's a large population of people. In fact, some studies have now suggested up to 44% of healthcare workers are uh, asymptomatic seroconverters, which means that you've got the antibodies without having this, uh, declared any symptoms. Um, uh, but having the antibody does not necessarily mean you will have lifelong immunity. We do not know how long the antibodies will last. We do not know how the virus will adapt and change. So at the moment, I don't think that it's a wise idea for us to say, you know, I'm all good. I've had it. Uh, I'm immune. It's done. We still don't mm -hmm. know. Uh, and I work very, very closely with our virology and infectious diseases department. And we've done several studies and we're working on lots of studies on, on it at the moment. And certainly directly from them, they categorically say you cannot assume that if you've got the antibodies, that you are going to be in the clear. I'll give you an example. Mm -hmm. um, uh, we, uh, we intubate patients with COVID all the time, and about a tenth uh, of uh, clinicians who are involved in tracheal intubation uh, have gotten COVID. Okay? I have several colleagues who have had COVID, swab-confirmed COVID, uh, and despite that, when they return to work, they're wearing full RPE and PPE. So, uh, so I think that it would be uh, playing with fire if you think that uh, having the antibodies uh, on a test means that you're immune forever, because we really don't know enough yet. Okay, fine. I think that's uh, answered it categorically that no, you shouldn't go commando. So if you're antibody positive, until the research is out there to suggest otherwise that we should still um, go with whatever the SOPs will be once they come out. Uh, is, is that a fair summary? Yeah, yeah, and we're, we need to be we need to be guided by the evidence, and the evidence is still it's way too early for us to draw any definitive conclusions on anything and to take any risks. So until we have definitive evidence, let's play safe and let's do the right thing. As talking uh, as someone with a beard, I'm sure obviously you, you know the issues. Well, you, you've been uh, subjected to many people you've tested or you've probably declined to test. If someone's got a beard, you're probably not going to test them. You're going to have that conversation about shaving. Uh, now, putting uh, religion even inside, because I know yeah, I'm a Sikh at the end of the day, but, but my listeners not, uh, are not all Sikh. Uh, so let's talk about the hoods, because that is one way to get around the, a beard uh, or uh, the fact that let's imagine any type of uh, mask, facial uh, mask uh, does not fit you, for example, and therefore we're now looking at a hood. But for those people who have um, tested some hoods, and I've got some colleagues who are uh, testing some hoods, they find it that the type of, uh, and, and Dr. Sammy, you, you know, being a periodontist, the type of fine work that uh, we used to do, perioplastic work, uh, resin work, uh, things that need um, good vision and uh, clarity may not be as easy to do. And it's very cumbersome, uh, like we said about the weight as well. The fact that you may have to use a saddle chair and a normal chair with a backrest will not be, uh, you won't be able to use that. So there's lots of issues. So I'm personally really looking for any solution that will uh, not involve a hood. So I didn't really, know, I didn't really finish it with a the question there, but uh, what, what, what I mean to say is, hopefully we're not going to need to all use hoods, uh, but what advice can you give to those who may need to use a hood and how to do good quality dentistry? Is that even possible? So I think we're going to have to readapt. Um, 
in in many respects. And um, I think the clinical environment itself uh, needs to be adjusted for the new era that we are now in. Um, I agree with you. Um, for those that are uh, wearing a beard, uh, if the if the uh, respirators are well, the respirators clearly are not uh, an option for them. So it has to be the hood. So then you can work backwards from uh, how are you going to adjust the surroundings to the hood, much more space around the dental chair. I think, you see, I, I when I'm operating as an oral surgeon, I stand up. When I'm operating as a periodontist, I sit down. Um, you make a very good point about about the the chair. I mean, the chair with the with the back on it may be something that you might not be able to use anymore. So you think about um, using the saddle or standing up. Um, the um, as was mentioned um, earlier, that 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 hood is there's there's an element of of distance created, and that distance is a physical distance, and it's also a psychological distance. Um, we we can't we can't communicate with our patients as well. Um, that badly affects uh, the element of empathy that we can provide. Uh, to our patients um, as we give them a more uh, holistic um, chairside manner to our to our approach um, and um, you know these are all things that we that we that we're going to have to change the loops is um, is an issue at the moment and I know there's uh, the uh, leading um, suppliers in in microscopes and loops are looking at ways to 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 adapt and to, to, to into the into the new um into the new need because think, even the scopes um, are, are difficult sorry to interject but even the microscope my my colleagues who are testing all this sort of stuff uh hoods mostly you know we've got a group of of, of Sikh people uh with, with beards and turbans who are trying to preempt a solution uh that will allow us to do good dentistry but also be protected uh, and they've so, confirmed that loops are difficult and, and, and microscopes are also finding uh, difficult. Uh, yes, Kareem, this is Tarek, sorry. Jazz, we are testing now and working now with industrial products that are designed for industrial applications and trying to adapt them to the healthcare workplace. The marketplace is dictated by demand uh, and need. So already we, we are, as a group, working with a couple of um, respirator manufacturer manufacturers to to evolve and develop some solutions, and that's been driven by the demand. So, if it is going to be as you say, our likely SOP, and it's going to be needed within the healthcare industry, rest assured there will be developments by dentists, for dentists, uh, by healthcare providers, for healthcare providers. We are innovators. We, are, we have a lot of creativity within our professional uh, industry. And rest assured uh, that there will be some new designs that everyone will be protected. If need be, through a respiratory uh, a respirator, they will have the right solution for them. And most likely, it will be developed by a dentist. Mm -hmm. Or at least uh, the development will be, con there is contribution by a dental professional within that, or a healthcare professional at least. Fine, but it's, it's just um, uh, a lot of uh, concern. People uh, thinking about, you know, we know that density will never be the same again. But even to um, do the types of procedures we used to do, 
for some period of time, we don't know how long, but for some period of time, we may be limited to doing extractions and very basic stuff. What I'm trying to say is that the techniques and the treatments that involve finesse may be difficult to do so early on until, as you say, Tarek, the market responds and comes up with uh, some uh, RPE equipment that makes it uh, conducive to, to excellent dentistry. But we also adapt in our in our uh, techniques, though, don't we, Jazz? I mean, you know, as time has gone on in, in dentistry, uh, even equipment has changed. Um, and, you know, we end up trying out new things, learning new techniques. And I think um, we'll be forced, if you like, to do that in this, in, in, in this era as well. Um, we, we have to um, come together and and accept that what we've always been doing um, all along is has to has to be ready to to be readapted. It's very difficult for a golfer to change a swing, but but we we are going to have to learn new techniques. And you know you, you, you're quite right to 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 mention um, you know a particular group. We see see the. The Sikhs and Muslims and Jews have a problem with the beards, um, but you know previously we've had um, uh, concerns where uh, women wearing hijab and long sleeves haven't been able to scrub up in theatres. Some innovative uh, response to this of a thinking outside the box to accommodate their their own wishes, but also an element of um, uh, of just being a little bit more fluid to the approach um, of saying, uh, maybe I will have to just change the way I stand. Maybe I will have to change the way I I look into the patient's mouth. Maybe there will be uh, different lighting systems. Um, we'll have to, we have to think about this together. We're living in an era, uh, in, in an era where digital scanning and custom made devices uh, are, are more readily available. So, um, creating a seal around the face, there may be other ways of achieving it. And all you need is a, uh, for a close fitting. So there are two developments that need to happen. Cl- uh, ways of achieving a seal around the face and uh, working around the restrictions of a person to make it personalizable. And uh, maybe a loose fitting solution where it is more uh, it's, uh, conducive for the fine work and the, what we need as healthcare providers. Thank you. Um, I've been speaking to some people who've been trained to do fit testing uh, up north in, in the York region, uh, and they're yeah. covering a huge area. I mean, they're covering from, sure. uh, let's say, uh, Sh- Yorkshire, Sheffield, all the way up to Newcastle, and they're driving in between these areas. So um, with the lack of, let's say, uh, fit testers to fit test, let's say, minimum 60,000 people, that's like 30,000 odd dentists, and uh, there's far more than 30,000 nurses. Let's assume a conservative figure of 60,000 looking to come back to work. Um, and uh, I appreciate that you think there'll be a phased return to work, but certainly I think there'll be some bottlenecks uh, in, in, in being able to get fit tested. And let's say one brand of mask runs out and then suddenly you need to get fit tested again for another brand. So there's lots of issues. And I don't want to get too much into the intricacies of all this, but people will try and get around it and get to work as fast as possible. So this, all this preamble is basically one of my listeners uh, who, who really wants to crack on as, uh, you know, as we all do as quickly as possible uh, asked, is it possible to, uh, or, or advisable to wear an FFP2 that 
you may not have had an opportunity to get fit tested because they're thinking pragmatically that it might be difficult to. And then on top of that, wear a face shield. Do you think uh, that will give uh, an adequate level of protection is the question from the listener. So, well, I mean, it depends, it depends what uh, the personal definition of adequate is. Um, I think we are all in it together that we want to minimize risk. Um, uh, of course, a one one bit of protection is more or less compared to another bit of protection. Our job here, or what where we see our role, is to help educate the individual to make their own risk assessments. Um, indeed, there have been uh, those that advocate uh, not fit fit testing an FFP two. I've seen it, um, and I think it's a personal choice. I mean, if if somebody wants to know if whatever they're wearing on their face, be it uh, a kitchen towel, is it, is it allowing some virus to go down the side? If you want to know the answer, then you need a fit test. I accept <laughs> that maybe we might be taking more risks to start with because of the bottleneck. Mm. Uh, but the mindset to think that let's um, relax our, our safety measures um, is is something that I wouldn't advocate. Thank you. And Kareem, I think I believe you, with your vast experience of uh, being on the end of wearing all these PPEs, RPEs, is, is there anything that you'd like to add to that? Yeah. Um, uh, firstly, uh, I, I also I just want to uh, give just a slightly different perspective on um, FFP2 and FFP3, where people are thinking that um, uh, FFP2 means, you know, you can be a little bit more loose with uh, applying it. Uh, what people need to bear in mind is that in North America, for example, they don't use FFP3s, okay? So the standard there is FFP2 or N95. That's their standard. So forget thinking that FFP2 is different to FFP3. It's just about the viral filtration efficiency. That's all, that's the only difference. It still needs to be on to use the respirator to protect yourself from a potential viral exposure, it must be fit tested. If you want to um, uh, take some uh, potential risks, uh, uh, as we talked about already, okay, so at least a fifth uh, uh, in published studies and, uh, and a third in our data from, uh, from the, the people that we fit, fit tested, between, uh, between uh, 20 to 30% of people uh, they do not have an adequate protection if they have not been fit tested. Okay, so it's up to you to decide if you're prepared to take that risk. I know I probably wouldn't be prepared to take that risk. Okay, but if you're prepared to take that risk of not being protected from uh, exposure potentially uh, um, from a patient with COVID, um, or I should say at least carrying um, a SARS-CoV-2, then that's up to you. But I would be guided by the evidence and by the data, and the evidence currently suggests that's not a wise idea. Okay, can I can you. I can I take a third perspective if that's okay? Yeah, please. So, this is what it's about. Let's under, let's understand the 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 principles, right? You don't have to wear a respiratory. It's not illegal to practice without respiratory protection. It's not illegal not to do a a fit test. A fit test is a method to show you what seal you have from the respirator if you've made a choice to use one. If you use a respirator, you probably are more protected than using just a surgical mask if there is 
uh, aerosol with particles if that particles carries a viable virus. We don't know the risks. We don't know what's in those particles. Um, and we don't know what's the consequences of being fit tested or not. All the principles are, is, uh, or the principle is, if you're choosing to use a respirator, which means you're choosing to protect yourself from the particles around you. If you want to do that to the optimum way, a fit test is the way to demonstrate it. So the next question um, I have is, I've heard reports that in the uh, ur- urgent dental care centers, that because of the lack of uh, PPE uh, in some centers, the dentists are being encouraged to wear one FFP3 uh, mask or whatever they're using uh, per session. So a morning and an afternoon, uh, and then between patients changing the surgical mask that will go over uh, the FFP, FFP3. That may be a, a pragmatic and practical solution at the moment. Is that something that you think can work for, for practices that may want to be saving money in the future? Because if, the, if that's the current standard of play, can we not continue it like that? Is there anything bad about doing that? Uh, if I can highlight a few issues, we're in unprecedented times and we're dealing with a, um, uh, a, a, large, a large problem of not being having the constant supply and we're having to deal with that uh, uh, and, and care for our patients that need urgent care. So they need urgent care. We're on a high peak pandemic with no limited supply at the moment. The Public Health England, uh, uh, and maybe that's, uh, I may be incorrect, but my interpretation is an, a respirator should be used in a single, uh, for single use in, in primary care settings. In secondary care settings, if there is a shortage, then it may be, and it's an appropriate setting, then it may be used as a sessional use. I haven't seen any official document to say that you can use a surgical mask on top from a public health England point of view. Yeah. Um, it is thinking outside the box and it, uh, it is extending the use of it. And I believe the, the latest guidance from uh, uh, Bounds, uh, the British Association of Oral Maxillofacial Surgery, uh, uh, advocates that. The problem that we have is the FFP3s currently in supply are not fluid resistant. And we don't have many of them. So adding a surgical mask on top offers you that extension. But we also use a face shield on top, which offers some protection. Um, respirators uh, should not be modified in any way because the whole point of having a fit test and checking with the respirator is that you wear it correctly, consistently every time, like you said earlier, right? So if Putting a surgical mask, does that, does that affect the fit or not? I don't know. Does it uh, increase the chance of you when you're removing the, the surgical mask for it to dislodge the respirator and break the seal? I don't know. Does it offer any protection for fluid um, uh, on top of having a, uh, a face shield on top? I don't know. Um, does, it, does it offer some filtration for the FFP3 masks that have an exit valve um, and potentially the wearer may be an asymptomatic carrier and working with a vulnerable patient or a shielded person and coughs uh, during, does that surgical mask offer some filtration or not? Uh, I don't know. The ideal gold standard going forward would be to have a 
disposable FFP3 that is fluid resistant, that has um, uh, that is not valved, um, and that is cheap and widely available on the same model that you can get every day with adjustable straps that comes in different sizes. Then we would have solved the problem in the, in, in dentistry and healthcare and manufactured and in the UK and comfort. Uh, yes. And manufactured in the UK uh, and conforms to the quality standards of the British standards of one, four, nine or whatever standard. So if we have a UK made solution that uh, passes the test that is cheap for us to use per patient, per procedure, that's easy for us to wear, comfortable for us to wear, that we can adjust the straps that comes in small, medium, and large, that is fluid resistant, then I would buy that and wear that. Uh, and probably I'll be, if, whether I wear, uh, I need it or not, I'd probably now uh, choose to wear it if it is readily available and economically uh, makes sense to me. Should we be switching to reusable um, uh, PPE? So uh, some of the a mask that looks like one of the Bane ones, I believe that's what they uh, tend to look like. Is that something that we should be thinking about instead of having to constantly worry about supply demands and whatnot? Uh, Kareem, I believe you may be uh, well positioned to talk about that. Yeah, I mean, listen, there's uh, obvious advantages. Um, uh, there's obvious disadvantages as well, but there's obvious advantages to having a reusable. Uh, one, actually, in the long run, it's more cost effective. So uh, if you're thinking of, uh, of uh, one of the reusables, uh, it's, uh, it costs anywhere between 30 and 50 pounds uh, without having to replace a filter, of course, because there's an additional cost of having to replace a filter uh, intermittently. Uh, and uh, if you compare that cost to a single disposable FFP3 mask that we commonly use in the NHS, uh, the, the, they, they're in the range of five to seven pounds. Wow. So immediately you can see that there is a cost benefit there. Okay, so there, there's a cost benefit. Number two, because it's reusable, you do not risk running out of supplies and needing to be fit tested in the next type of uh, um, uh, RPE that your your uh, employer provides you. Okay, so you you've got it, you fit test on it, you know it works, you use it thereafter. Okay, um, uh, and number three, it's you can keep it for one individual or it can be shared amongst individuals if it's clean. So for us, uh, in uh, um, uh, certainly with what I, what I do. We have reusable um, uh, um, uh, uh, RPEs that I keep my own one. I have my own one that I've been fit tested on, that I look after, that I care for, that I um, uh, uh, check the filter on uh, regularly. I haven't, I do, I'm not worried that I'm going to run out of supplies. I'm not worried that I'm going to need to be refit tested again. So there's obvious benefits to them. There's some drawbacks, of course. The drawbacks are they're bulky. They're large they need to be cleaned. And of course, you must remember that the whole process of doffing these is a much more challenging process than doffing uh, a, a disposable because a disposable, you, you carefully take it off your face with your eyes closed and drop it into the bin. But with these, you've got to be very, very careful because you're not dropping it into the bin. You're going to be grabbing it. There's two straps that need to be pulled out. You're going to be grabbing it and then you need to be cleaning it. The cleaning process itself poses potential theoretical risks. There's no data to support this, but it's all theoretical risks that you may be um, uh, dispersing any virus that's on the, on the, on the um, uh, RPE itself. So you've got to clean it. 
And what we do is we clean ours. Um, uh, I clean mine myself just because my, for my own peace of mind once a day by disassembling it and cleaning it properly as per manufacturer instructions. Different manufacturers have different instructions and you've really got to adhere to those instructions. So there's pros and cons of using um, uh, a reusable versus uh, single use. To my mind, uh, having the, uh, you know, the, the benefits of having the reusable, for me personally at least, uh, outweigh the risks and, the, and the, the drawbacks of the bulkiness and the cleaning. Sami and Tarek, as, as dentists, uh, do you think reusable is, is the way forward? Well, I think that all, all, all that Kareem just, um, just uh, elaborated on is, uh, is equally applicable uh, to us. The one thing I would add about the bulkiness is this thing is like stuck to your face. And um, dentists in particular... Um, you know, we're, we're working a, a good, what is it, a six, seven, eight-hour day at least uh, with with this thing stuck to our face. I don't know how many patients we're going to be we're going to be seeing in the post-COVID era compared to how many patients we used to uh, schedule in our diaries before. Uh, but but that in itself is going to be a challenge, and um, there'll undoubtedly be um, you know facial markings. Uh, marks on your face after you've worn it that could possibly cause scarring i don't know um it's 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 something that we're going to have to uh consider um when we're selecting which type of protection that we're going to that we're, that we're going to use um and and in dentistry also certainly i mean for oral surgery for example i mean i i i, I can Sometimes see patients every twenty minutes for goodness' sake, but I don't think I'm going to do that again. Um, but 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 incorporating in that uh, schedule now is the uh, donning and doffing and the inspection and the cleaning. Um, so it's so many factors now to 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 put into the melting pot that we previously didn't consider. I have access to both. And I'm fortunate to have access to both. Certain procedures, I would wear the uh, um, uh, reusable respirator. Certain scenarios, I will use the disposable. For example, yesterday I had an anxious lady uh, that needed a, an impacted third molar removed. So it's likely to be an AGP. Um, and I chose to put the disposable one because I didn't want to add another fear factor is probably the way forward. Uh, and as a fit tester, a variety of sizes for a variety of scenarios is probably the, uh, the way forward. Both, uh, all close fitting respirators are designed for a short period of time. And the health safety executive expects a wearer to wear it comfortably for less than an hour. So after an hour, you're probably more likely touch it. You're more likely adjust it um, so they're not designed for extended use, both of them. And as part of our fit testing, the first thing we check, can you put it correctly, consistently yourself? Yes. Can you comfortably wear it uh, and work with it? Yes. And then we do the fit test. Uh, mm-hmm. And we've had people that put on a disposable and think, no, this is too much for me. We've had people that stay on the whole training session with one. We've had people try on the reusable and say, yeah, that's fine. I don't see any problem with this. I actually do this when I do my uh, DIY work work Mm -hmm. at home and I'm used to it. And some people put it on and say, no, 
I'm never going to wear this. I hate the look of this. That's not for me. Mm -hmm. And we have to be prepared for that. Um, a respirator is a, a way of controlling the hazard. There are other ways of controlling the hazard. There is, uh, dare I say, not doing AGPs. Uh, dare I say, controlling the hazard in another way. Uh, and don't forget that a respirator is the last resort in the puzzle. So all other things that we do is the right thing to do. Respirator should be considered as the last resort in protection. Um, and controlling the hazards. Um, Sammy, with your ethics uh, background, I want to ask you, who should be paying for this? Private practice, uh, who should pay for, let's say, all these FFP3s? Because I'm, I'm increasingly seeing uh, some principals uh, trying to uh, plan the future charge of this to, to make the associates buy their own PPE. Where do you see this? Oh, I mean, I might have a law and ethics education, but, uh, but that's certainly far be it for me to uh, to give an opinion on how people should be running their own businesses. But uh, I'm a principal as well, um, so, so I understand um, the, the the issues here. I mean, it's 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 a minefield. Um, I think I think the law states that uh, employers need to be providing a safe working environment for their employees. Uh, and sadly, in this new era, that means providing them safe air to breathe. Now, that's a, that's a really, really sobering thought. Um, but then equally, um, you know, uh, principals haven't traditionally provided uh, loops uh, for 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 dentists, um, they haven't. Some provide them with their uniforms. Some don't. It's um, it's something that's going to have to be an internal decision. Um, mm -hmm. no, I just thought uh, I'd ask your opinion. Uh, they, you know, yeah, uh, you know, I, I I haven't even answered that question for myself and my own staff yet. It's going mm -hmm. to be a really tough one. No matter who pays for it. We need to make sure that we're protected and we have the right, the right equipment that is, uh, if it is a respirator, then ideally should be fit tested. And we need to, uh, and then if the, if the dentist pays for it, then the, does the nurse pay for it? And if they pay for it themselves, do you quality assure it? Do you make sure that it's working? Do you make sure that it's fit tested? Um, uh, so quality is, I think, what's important. Uh, paying for it uh, and who pays for it is obviously an important question as well. But for me, the quality and the safety of everyone involved, and I'm sure we will have a professional guidance on this from the people that are expert in this. Okay, fine. So, uh, so gentlemen, the, the, the final question I have is, with us potentially, fingers crossed, hopefully getting back to work uh, and the inevitable increased demand for fit testers, because based on what you're saying, it sounds like, for your safety, for the safety of our staff, it's really important because we don't know exactly what we're dealing with just yet. We need more research. So for the time being, I think it, what, I'm, what I'm sensing is that it's, it's something that we should be getting done proactively uh, once the decision is made about uh, SOPs. So should there be more people getting trained for fit testing? What does it involve? Uh, and just give us a flavor uh, about that. So um, um, I think, yes, knowledge is key. We need, if we need fit testers, we need professional fit testers, not industry fit testers. Um, training and becoming fit, a fit tester, uh, there are two methods, qualitative or quantitative. 
um, it is both a, it's a skill, it's an art, and it's a science. So with that, uh, any, any uh, skill, art, and science need just not, you can't just grab it by reading a book. You can't grab it by just watching a video. You need to be trained, educated. You need to practice that skill. You need to have it observed. You need to reflect on your performance uh, and be uh, and be supervised to gain that competency uh, in a safe manner. Um, and that's what we've been doing thus far. Not just training, but reflecting, supervising, mentoring, and ensuring that it's, the competency is gained safely. Whoever provides the fit testing, uh, it's a legal requirement for them to be competent in doing so. Sure. There is a, a British safety, um, uh, there is a accredited accreditation scheme and being accredited as a fit tester is the gold standard uh, of fit testing, but that's for industry. In healthcare, we need well-trained professionals that um, uh, are able to do it within our context, understand our environment, understand what is needed. And I think we are as dental professionals, not just dentists, but all of the dental professionals are ideally suited to be our own fit testers if we need it in the future. Brilliant. Sammy, did you want okay, to add I, Well, I just want to agree with that so much in that, in that, you know, in the time gone by, firemen and construction workers have had to um, receive an element of training uh, and the level of fit testing that's appropriate to, to their environment. Uh, and the world in healthcare has just changed overnight now. So whilst a great majority of uh, what they have overlaps into our environment, there's a substantial amount um, that doesn't and therefore would, is missed by uh, generic training. Um, I think uh, targeted and focused training um, that is relevant specifically to our profession, and we've just talked about some, haven't we? We've talked about sitting in the chair or a saddle. We've talked about the loops. We've talked about the empathy of chairside um, um, uh, communication with you, with the patient when you're when you're you're appearing uh, differently than when that when you did in the last appointment with them six months ago. These are all things that that the construction workers haven't needed to address in their field of work. Um, so so our um, our model um, has um, has has brought all that into into one basket uh, in order to make it more focused and relevant. Sure. Kareem, any, anything you'd like to add? Can I add? Uh, I wanted to add something, Jazz, if I may. Um, yeah. There are some personality traits that suit or qualities of a person suited to become a fit tester. You need to be uh, pay attention to detail. You need to be conscientious. You need to uh, give confidence to the person that you're fit testing. And you need to not just want to tick the box. I have attended about six training courses, uh, all of them accredited, and I've had different experiences. We all know training can be different and can be the same content can be given by different people, but the result can be different. Also, we know that six people can attend a course and their competency after the course can be different. So not everybody that is trained to be attend a course to become a fit tester 
is a good fit tester at the end of it. You need to have a process to ensure that the person at the end of that training journey is competent. So uh, what's the gentleman, what's the difference between a fit test and a fit check? So a fit test is, as we discussed earlier, uh, an employer's responsibility, and it's a way of assessing the performance of a respirator and whether it's adapt, uh, does it conform or create a seal with that person's facial features. It lasts for two years, and it's only uh, for that particular model of respirator. And it's not valid if the person loses weight or uh, gain weight or anything that affects the seal area, including significant dental work, uh, then makes it invalid. A fit check is the responsibility of the wearer, and that's something that they should do every time they don the uh, respirator. Um, And it gives them confidence that they've done it correctly, consistently, and they're trained to do it. For each type of respirator, it's a different technique. So everyone who gets fit tested and starts wearing an FFP2 and FFP3, for example, needs also, so everyone needs to be a fit checker, a, pro, a proficient fit checker. Yes. For that part model of, of, part of the training, part of the, the, your fit testing is to be trained to fit check. So that's, part, that's one of the reasons why fit, fit testing is so important because it teaches you to fit check. There are some people that think that I can fit check without having fit testing. So a fit check is effectively, you put the mask on, you suck in, and if it sucks in effectively, uh, and if it feels like there's a seal, then uh, then you should have confidence in that. But that's, uh, to my mind, that's, that's um, probably insufficient. Uh, because you need you need to be you need to have quantitative, not just qualitative, but quantitative and objective um, measures to demonstrate that uh, that you have you have an effective seal. Um, uh, whereas fit checking is uh, is purely subjective, and and it's it's it carries significant user error. So we we're setting the standards. Um, I hope in dentistry. Uh, that that fit testing um, should be the, um, the the required risk management um, strategy, um, but is that the case in hospitals, Kareem? Uh, well, I think that uh, there has been some some institutions uh, across the UK who have effectively said that you should uh, that fit checking is sufficient, and that probably comes down to the fact that there is a. Um, there's probably too many um, clinicians or, or healthcare workers that need fit testing, but they do not have the capacity to fit test everyone. And so therefore, they've made pragmatic decisions to uh, uh, meet the healthcare demand that people should just fit test, uh, fit check, sorry. And I, I think that uh, if, you have, if you're taking responsibility for your own health and well-being, then I don't think personally that that would suffice um uh, and and i would encourage employers to really consider uh, uh the you know doing what's best for their employees as well we're quite fortunate i think in in primary care dentistry that we do have um much more of a level of autonomy to make our own decisions in this regard so it's not it's not going to be a sort of a, a you know, we're victims of a, of a departmental policy of a, of a large organisation. I mean, dental practices can make their own uh, risk analysis in this regard. 
Brilliant. And can I just get some uh, rough dates? Sammy, when do you think uh, I'll be able to do um, some composites again? Um, well, the last time I did a composite was about 25 years ago. Um, and I certainly hope I'm not going to be doing one uh, anytime soon. But uh, let's look, let's be positive about this. Let's be positive about this. I know there's lots of politics involved and I know um, there's questions as to, as to who, which advice we should be following. Um, as, as Tarek has alluded to, I think it's going to be a phased um, re-entry back into the profession. And I think uh, we'll probably be doing more of non-AGB procedures to start with. Um, I'm, I'm not going to, I'm not going to um, put a label on anything. I'd be, I'd be quite, I, I would hope, I would hope that we're practicing dentistry um, in July. Can I, can I uh, add, we, um, first of all, when it is safe for you, when it is safe for the nurse, when it is safe for the patient, when it's safe for other patients in the practice to do so. Uh, or also perhaps when we have the evidence that it is safe for you, for the nurse, for the patient, for other patients in the workplace, for you to do so. Um, also, I hope, um, or last message is for us to go back to work. We need confidence from the profession we need guidance from the profession. We need a coordinated approach from the profession. We need the patients to have confidence in us. We need the CQC to have confidence in us and on our workplaces. We need our workforce to be confident in their ability to do everything safely, that they are protected, that their, their patients are protected, and that their uh, loved ones at home are protected. I had resistance from, from my loved ones saying, no, don't go to work because with all this fear around, I don't want you to bring it home. How would you feel if I, uh, if I felt ill? So um, I think to, to when, uh, first of all, we should already be working now. We should be preventing disease. We should be uh, uh, reaching out to our patients. We should be uh, engaging with them. Um, we should be uh, helping the, the national response and taking the burden out of the 111 triage. I know I spoke to a GDP this morning, um, and that was taking calls, despite his normal hours not being open on a Saturday, just to take that burden off 111. So the little, the, the, as much effort that we all do as a profession, the quicker we will get to normal, whatever what that normal might be. Well, I'm here's hoping that it will be uh, ASAP. Uh, gentlemen, it's been great to have you on the podcast today. Uh, lots of facts, so much needed because there's lots of speculation going on. Um, thank you for all the hard work that you guys are doing behind the scenes uh, and, of course, on the front line as well. Really, on, beh on behalf of the nation, thank you, guys. Well, you're welcome, Jazz, and thank you very much uh, for having us. It's, it's, it's great for us to, to get together and chat and to be thought-provoking in this way. We see ourselves as just a very, very small... Uh, uh, piece of the jigsaw puzzle um, and we're happy to help anybody that reaches out to us um, I'm, I'm happy to put our um, email address out there which is info at dakatra.co.uk so that's spelled info I-N-F-O at dakatra which is d-a-k-a-t-r-a dot co dot uk anyone that has any questions by all means, we are, uh, our doors remain open. Brilliant. Well, thank you very much, gents. Thank you for having us. Thank you.
Pew. 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 Pew.